This is love. Week two. We started out this last week, Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, with this is love, love that forgives our sin. How many of you are glad that your sins are forgiven you? Let me ask you a question now. Yeah, amen. You can do that. It's okay. Um, Let me ask you a question. How many of you had some sins that needed some forgiving? Yeah, I know, I, I know that place. I know that place. And God, God in His infinite, infinite, infinite wisdom forgave us of our sins as we acknowledge Him as the Lord and Savior. Um, this week in our series, This is Love, we're going to be addressing the statement, Love that conquers death. Love that conquers death. Okay, let me ask you a question. How many of you go to spooky, scary movies? You don't have to raise your hand if you... (laughs) How many of you, once you walked out of the theater... Now, I know some of you are lying to me right through your teeth. Because some of y'all go to spooky movies. I know it for a fact because you've made the mistake of telling me you've gone to spooky movies. So, I don't go to spooky movies. uh, And there's reasons for that. I don't like spooky what was it? Was it, uh, where was I? Oh, I think it was in the laundry room just this past week, I think. I was doing something, maybe not this week, maybe it wasn't the laundry room, I don't remember. But I'm sitting somewhere, and I'm doing something, and I'm kind of like, you know how you get when you're like doing something, and you're kind of in the groove, and the world doesn't exist, and you're like, da, 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 and you're just doing whatever it is, and then something six foot nine walks up behind you, I don't remember what, we, what I was doing, but you walked up, and this is what I said to him. And I went, oh! And I said to him, like he meant to do this, okay? I told him, I said, don't ever do that again. <laughs> like he came up on purpose to freak me out, right? No, he's moving through the house he lives in and happens to freak his dad out. Here I am going, don't you ever do that again, you know? (laughs) I don't like spooky, period, end of conversation. But how many of you who do go to spooky movies or have seen spooky movies and stuff, you suddenly, for days on end, are astro-projected into the theme and the storyline of those spooky things And something really bad is chasing after you with a chainsaw or an axe or a butter knife or a really big spoon. Something where you're getting freaked out because you don't want to die. Yeah. You know, there's only one, there's only one way to defend yourself against a, uh, serial killer that has a big spoon you know that there's only one way have a big jar of peanut butter that's the only way that you can defend yourself it's stuck okay i have digressed so far i have no idea how to preach this message now we're talking about the love of god that conquers death death How many of you 
if it weren't for the trumpet sounding at some undesignated point in the future? How many of you are going to die? Raise your hand. Okay, we have a bunch of immortals in this room. There's a whole bunch of folk. Y'all interested? I'm not dying. I don't know about you. You're dying. Get used to it. Okay? It's going to happen. We're continuing this this series here. I'm going to try to circle this back around right now. Because of the resurrection, amen, we know what the cross was all about. See, the cross is one thing. Someone came and died. The cross is one thing. But you know, if Jesus came and died, wow, He sure loved us a lot, but He didn't fix our problem. At all. In any way. Shape or form. But because of the cross, or because of the resurrection, we understand the cross. In order to raise from the dead and subsequently put life into us, He had to have a cross in order for there to be a stone before a tomb that gets rolled away. There has to be a cross before there's a resurrection. There had to be a cross before an ascension. There had to be a cross before we could walk in freedom. Because of Easter, we understand the meaning of Good Friday. At the cross, Jesus died in our place for our sins. Mm. Jesus entered into our pain and into our shame. Jesus came and took the weight of evil itself. The weight of evil itself. Why? So its power over us could be broken. Never should we ever read the words, For God so loved the world the same way again. His love for the world was so expansive, so measureless, its depths unable to sound, its heights unable to climb. It's so expansive, its borders have no borders. His love was so vast that what did He do but God became man for the express purpose of making sure that you and I don't have to pay the, de- the, 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 uh, the penalty of death because of darkness, because of evil, because of sin. My Lord, have mercy. And because Jesus didn't stay in the grave, we see the, that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is God in His love freeing us from sin. God in His love overcoming death. God in His love announcing that one day, one day, a new creation will come. You see... It's because of death, the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we see the love of God. 
we ascribe, and rightfully so, this love concept in the Bible to Christ. Christ was the medium by which God's love for His people, mankind, not just Israel, mankind, God's love was shown to man. We, we see Jesus as the, the ambassador, the securer of this love, but it came from the throne of Jehovah God and Father Himself. He was the initiator. For God so loved the world. Mm. You see, it's because of the death and resurrection of Jesus that we can see the love of God. When we look at Jesus, we can say, this is love. There's your example. You want to know what love is? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want to talk to you today about the resurrection of Jesus and about God conquering death. Death is the great tragedy of the human experience. How many of you, when you were kids, um, and some of you who are um, more mature than others, and I don't mean because uh, you're actually mature. Uh, there's a lot of older people who are really immature. Look at me. I'm using the word mature instead of the word older. Read Reader's Digest when you were much younger. Reader's Digest was one of those smorgasbords of cool things in the pages and you just surf through them. How many of you read the comics, those little jokes and stuff like that? How many of you read the quotes? A lot of the stories I found totally boring. But when I was little, I surfed through those things. And um, did anybody ever read the drama in real life section? That's Reader's Digest's version of spooky story or scary story. I don't mean ghosts and goblins. I mean things happen that make you go, I don't want that to happen to me. Okay. They were interesting and they were exciting. Um, but they were also really, really scary. At times, because in hindsight, you know, I don't know if it was the smartest idea as a young person, young person, not young person, but younger person uh, to read those because it, it took my already, uh, already kind of tentative uh, nature and filled my very active imagination with all the possible ways an everyday occurrence, an everyday activity or a leisure activity um, on a holiday or just a trip over to see the grandparents or whatever could turn deadly. Now, that's how you want to frame a, a visit to the grandparents. Boy, you could die. Going to grandma's house, you could die. That's not exactly, but, you, you know, things, weird things happen in everyday occurrences, and that's what Reader's Digest in these drama in real life stories would show you. A hike in the mountains could be shrouded by some fast-moving uh, storm that would come in and, and create tragedy. Um, a road trip to a friend's wedding could become a... Uh, uh, some terrible nightmare when some semi-truck blows out a tire. And you know, oh, I'm just going to Ashley and, and Des is it, and you're gone. You know, that's, that was what was in those stories. And those stories simply displayed how 
tragedy and terrible things could happen in regular real life situations. I have a dear friend um, who pastors with her husband in Joplin, Missouri, a four square church up there, whose mother was one of the dorm parents at Messenger College when it was still located in Joplin. And this woman's, um, my friend, her her older brother and wife and little tiny daughter would come by the campus periodically and visit and all, and we knew them and and it was just, and one day, one day these two pastors, husband wife, the little daughter was not with them, and here we have pastors driving down the road, tragic accident. That tiny girl has no parents any longer, and it's just. You're, you're taken aback by the most common things where death steps in and takes its toll in the most normal things. Whether or not you are a catastrophizer, the best words get made up on the pulpit. I'm just saying. Someone who imagines catastrophes around the corner. You know, you step out that front door to get to the mail and you know... A grizzly bear could maul you. Or, if you're a Looney Tunes fan, you step outside to get into the car, there is an anvil falling from nowhere in the air. going to clock you and take you out. We all live under the shroud of death. As the saying goes, no one gets out of here alive. Even the avoidance of aging is a burgeoning industry. One that I don't, I do, and I don't understand, the the avoidance of aging. Let me let me tell you something. All the cream in the world, all the Botox injections you can afford, the hair color, dressing way too young for your age. Skinny jeans on not skinny people. There's fundamentally something wrong with that. And all the rest of that industry, the anti-aging industry, I'm going to tell you, you may pull off some nuance of not looking your age, but I'm going to tell you something right now. It is appointed unto man once to die. And you may leave a good-looking corpse, but you still dead. We do everything we can to feel, in, Bob's Dylan's, in Bob Dylan's words, forever young. All right, those of you who have never heard Bob Dylan, you have no idea what I just did. Bob Dylan is the single most famous individual who simply cannot sing on planet Earth. That brother could write songs, but he couldn't sing his way out of a wet paper bag. And the bags in the other room. All kidding aside, the fear of all fears in the human life and in the human mind is death. Sociologists have observed that just about every society has its own version of what's known as immortality symbols. Immortality symbols. Things that give the assurance of living forever. Okay? In ancient times, uh, it was all about being 
properly enshrined or buried among whatever gods you worshipped at the time. Okay? It was all about that. If you, if, for example, the pharaohs who would get buried uh, in the pyramids and such, and of course there's the Taj Mahal in India, it was all about being enshrined in conjunction with your gods. For Americans, it's all about things like lavish houses and extravagant cars. It's all about big trust funds and really big retirement accounts. And it all means things that, these are all things that we think will live on long after us. In other words, we want something, most people call it legacy. We want something that when we're gone, still speaks and still says, I was here. And in, despite all of that, I said it comically just moments ago, but the reality is, you can leave something that has your name attached to it, but you're still dead. And that's really the problem. We can leave stuff behind. I have things that I've intentionally acquired for the express purpose of giving to my two boys. I have two of several things expressly for them when I'm gone. What's really sick about that, and you can ask their granddad, how often these two boys say, you know, when you're dead, can I have... I'm thinking, what, next week? Or they'll fight over it. They'll be like, "Uh uh-uh, I get that when Dad's gone. I'm I'm standing right here. This is one of the best. Papa, when you die, can I have your... Does it happen? That's right. There is a highly coveted Browning A-bolt in 7mm 08 in his gun safe that, oh my Lord, there's a lust affair going on with one of my two sons. <laughs> who has said, Papa, when you're dead, you know, I'm going to cry about you, then I'm grabbing that rifle. It's... Some of these things that we set up for our remembrance, some of these things are fundamentally not bad. They may even, you know, uh, be decent motivations, you know, putting something together that you can leave for someone else when you're gone. We may uh, be thinking about leaving the world maybe a better place than, than we found it, and we leave that for future generations. That's all wonderful, but as far as being immortality symbols... Um, something that makes us live on after death, um, they come woefully short of what you need once you've passed. Because, brothers and sisters, uh, if the Bible is true, and I am persuaded that it is, you're going to live somewhere once you've passed away. It's going to be one of two residences. And your immortality symbols have nothing to do with where you end up unless your legacy is having passed down the name and subsequent salvation of Jesus Christ. 
Death is the great ending. It is the great finality. The inescapable curtain call. That's death. So when Jesus went to the cross on Friday, it was anything but, look at me, in the most literal of all senses, good. It was death. And there's exactly one reason why we see death differently than anybody else does is because we have this. But if you were a a follower of Jesus and you didn't have this, and all you had was His Word, and you had delusions of grandeur as to how this was all going to play out, and the next thing you know, He's hanging on the cross, and in short order, He's literally dead and being buried, suddenly death is the final inescapable curtain call, and you're left up a creek, and there are no paddles in sight. His followers were devastated. The dream was over. Like the disciples on the road to Emmaus said they had hoped he would be the Messiah. People were walking away going, oh well, we were wrong about that one. But now, that hope had come to a screeching halt. Their heads were hung low. Their bodies felt lifeless. Their hearts felt hollow. And their eyes were swollen from weeping. How could this be? If you haven't ever seen uh, the play, the Broadway play or the movie, and I always have trouble pronouncing Les Miserables, I think the scene where that character, Fantine, sings, quote, I dream a dream that cannot be, end quote, that right there captured the kind of heartbroken despair that the disciples must have been feeling that Friday. I dreamt a dream, and it can't be. It's good not to rush past that moment. You know, that moment is so similar to moments that you and I experience in everyday life when we are certain God is going to do X, Y, or Z, but we don't have the mind of Christ and we don't see into the will of God and it doesn't happen and we say to ourselves I dreamed a dream that cannot be and our faith wavers and our faith is shaken and that's where they were they banked their whole lives on it this is Jesus we had hoped he was the Messiah you see the darkness and the tragedy of Good Friday captured how we often feel in life Overwhelmed by the brokenness in the world, filled with discouragement or even despair, aware of the darkness and the fear in our own hearts. Death is the end of all possibilities. Once something's dead, time to bury that. And if there is no answer for death, then all other answers just don't matter. Because death is on its way. Boy, that's dark and dismal, isn't it? What is there available to mankind that can lift our heavy heads? Solomon wrote, Love is as strong as death. The Father on Easter Sunday said, No, love is stronger. 
On that first Easter morning, God the Father showed the world that there is a love that is stronger than death. The preaching of the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts and in Paul's writings, makes a point that uh, to say that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. That's the whole point. This matters because we are not meant to see Jesus... Now listen to this very carefully, especially in this season of the superhero movies. We're not meant to see Jesus as some sort of Superman figure brought to the brink of death by some evil villain who somehow musters up the last bits of life to burst free from the evil villain's clutches. The Gospel writers and the first preachers of Jesus want us to know that Jesus really did truly die. That finality, that end of things, that curtain call, He died. He was buried fully dead. That's important for you and I. Because if He didn't die, then He didn't really resurrect, did He? And if He didn't resurrect, then He really didn't ascend, did He? And if He didn't ascend, He's not seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession. But God the Father did not abandon His beloved Son in the grave, who literally died. He vindicates His faithful obedience and sacrificial death by raising Him up. Here are the few ways that the New Testament talks about it. Acts chapter 5, listen to this. Peter said, The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging Him on a tree. God has exalted Jesus to His right hand as leader and Savior so that He could enable Israel to change its heart and life and to find forgiveness for sins. Paul goes on in Acts chapter 13. We proclaim that you, we proclaim to you the good news. What God promised to our ancestors, He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead, never again to be subjected to death's decay. Therefore, God said, I will give to you the holy and firm promises I made to David. In another place, it is said, you will not let your Holy One experience death's decay. David served God's purpose in his own generation. Then he died, and he was buried with his ancestors. He experienced death's decay. But the one whom God has raised up didn't experience death's decay. Paul would develop this even further in his letters to the churches he started or he was trying to encourage. He understood that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just good news for Jesus. It's good news for the whole world. But some Christians in Corinth, man, Corinth had issues, man. Some Christians in Corinth, they weren't sure of all that. They just weren't, you know. They wondered if 
all of this was really necessary to believe. Do I have to believe that Jesus died and then we, you know, resurrected? Couldn't they just say that Jesus was, you know, a good teacher and was, he was still with us spiritually? Why did it matter if he had actually been raised from the dead? Well, it matters every bit. The questions brought out some of Paul's clearest teachings concerning the resurrection. I want us to take a closer look right quick uh, at what he said. Uh, and because of what he says, I'm going to make three, three really big observations about it. No, okay, let's read the scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse, beginning in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's it. He's the first one. What does that mean for us? And this is not one of my three points. If he's the first fruits, the first one to be raised from the dead, what does that mean for us? We're the rest of the fruit on the tree. For as, a man, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Yeah, hallelujah. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he, is put, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Paul is saying at least three things to us. The first thing that Paul is saying. Resurrection is the defeat of death. Here's number one. Resurrection is the defeat of death. Paul calls death an enemy. Now I need you to listen to this very clearly. We romanticize death sometimes. But here's the thing. Paul calls death an enemy. How many of you have an enemy? Okay, and I don't mean your boss. Let us be clear about this. Death is not a friend. Death is not a doorway into eternity. Death is a beast. Death is your enemy. But it is an enemy that will be destroyed because of Jesus' victory over death on Easter. Death had his hands around Jesus' throat Friday afternoon. And that grip was utterly raised by the Spirit of God when Jesus stood up. That, that grip was broken and forevermore. Can you imagine being free from the fear of death? Those of you who go to spooky movies, you can just laugh. Those of you who read those, those scary stories in Reader's Digest, you can just laugh. How much fear is related to the fear of death and its finality? How often do you say to someone, be careful out there. You know what's hidden in that statement. Someone leaves your house or leaves your company and you say, drive safe now. Parents never again having to say, honey, now you be careful out there doing X, Y, or Z. Every last one of us say those things because there is an undercurrent of 
the potential for injury and death. That's why we say it. How much fear is related to the fear of death and its finality? But what if we could look at that monster right in the face? Imagine the worst scenario of it all, of all. Imagine it. Some people say, I don't, you know, shark week comes along. I would never want to do that. That's the whole, that's my worst fear. Get eaten by a shark. Come on, people, help me here. I, I am afraid of heights. I think one of the worst things that could ever happen to me is me fall off someplace high. Because all I'm doing on the way down is going, this is really going to hurt. <laughs> Drowning's another one. What if you could look at that monster right in the face, death, and say that even you, death, even you, you're not the end of me. And do it with all confidence. Look it right square in the eye and saying, give it your best, but it's not good enough. When power is abused, and we see that in governments and groups around the, the world, the weapon that is wielded is the fear of death. You don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to kill you. That's when power is abused. Tyrants and thieves, dictators and despots, all resort to the ultimate threat, the threat of death. But when death no longer holds its sting, tyrants no longer have any power. This is what happened in the early centuries when Caesar after Caesar after Caesar would threaten to kill Christians if they did not renounce Christ and their worship of Him. Well, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to throw you to the lions. I'm going to crucify you. I'm going to burn you. I'm going to whatever. Yet those Christians and Christians around the world now were free of fear and death. You, you can't kill a dead man. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You can't kill a dead man. That was their philosophy. They knew that they belonged to the one who had conquered death and the one who had been raised up. This is why it's so important that we understand what really happened to Jesus. He did not have a near-death experience and then get resuscitated. <laughs> he did not pass out on the cross only to be refreshed by the cool air of the tomb. He died piercing of his side which caused the, the caused the blood and the water to the flow we look at that as part of a narrative we look at that and wonder i wonder why that says that well the bible is explicitly clear on why that happened and and god's intentions were so very clear because that's a medical note proving the literal genuine death of jesus christ the disciples were not hallucinating when they saw Jesus. That is why the gospel writers recount the stories of the disciples not recognizing him from time to time. There was something familiar, but also something very, very different. His body seemed to have new, even spiritual properties that allowed him to appear in rooms whose doors were locked. And his body, at the same time, could grow hungry, and he could eat fish for breakfast on a beach. 
It was the same, but it wasn't the same. What was the old product years ago whose slogan was, it's the same thing, only different? That was Jesus. Thomas could actually touch the wounds, touch the scars. The disciples weren't using the word resurrection to describe Jesus going to heaven after dying. That's not what that word meant. They had other ways of talking about things like that. They had other ways of framing a discussion about an ascension, going to heaven. What they said was he was alive. They did not mean in their hearts. They meant the one that was dead is now alive. He's walking around. He's alive. The ancient world had categories for spiritual uh, journeys in the afterlife or hallucinations or visions of a ghost. They had categories for that. But what happened to Jesus completely shattered all of those categories. This is how we talk about people uh, uh, ascending to heaven. This is how we talk about seeing, having a hallucination and seeing a... This is, but what happened to Jesus obliterated that framework. They had no point of reference in how to describe this. He was resurrected, not resuscitated. It completely eliminated it. So by the time Paul is writing the letters to the Corinthians, he can say to them that he is simply last in a long line of witnesses to the resurrection. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers, at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is the second thing that we can note from Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church about the meaning and significance of the resurrection. Resurrection is God's new beginning when all possibilities have ended. Resurrection is not a resuscitation. Resurrection is not a hallucination. Resurrection is not a spiritualization of the afterlife. Resurrection is what only God can bring about when other possibilities are gone. That's resurrection. Let me ask you a question. Do you need resurrection in your life? Do you have possibilities, things that you dreamed of, and they seem to have ended? They've died. What things are dead in your life? Where, was the, where has the story of your life gone off the rails and you need God through Christ Jesus to resurrect you, that part of your life? 
Maybe you don't want to think about those places or areas in your life because, quite frankly, what's the point? They're dead. How could you possibly change that story? It's over, right? Well, that leads me to the last thing about resurrection that we learn from Paul. Resurrection is a gift. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22, he said this, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You see, just as death entered the world through one man, so has resurrection life come through the resurrection of one man. Remember, the resurrection of Jesus is not just good news for Jesus. It's good news for us too. And all the world. What did we do to deserve this? What did we do to deserve this gift of resurrection? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. What can we do to earn it? Nothing. Resurrection does not emerge from potential. Resurrection is not an achievement. No one can raise themselves from the dead. If they could, we would forego the entire funeral industry. Because what would be the point? But in Christ shall all be made alive. Hallelujah. Are you catching on to why this is so important? One day, all who are in Christ will be raised up with glorious new bodies. We will have bodies like Jesus. We don't know much more about those bodies, what they're going to be like and such, but we know that we will seem similar and yet radically different. We'll be the same thing, only different. I love that phrase. Using the same materials, it will have new properties. All of that is wonderful. And it has led to Christians saying for 1,700 years now, in the words of the Nicene Creed, that we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. That is what we are looking for. Amen? Is that what you're looking for? The older I get, the more I realize... Man, I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to eternity. But you know what? Resurrection life can begin in you today if you don't have it. If you don't have resurrection life, it can begin in you today. As a matter of fact, it can begin right now. Paul, after writing to the Corinthians about the significance and the meaning of the resurrection, wrote this to the Christians in Rome in Romans 8. He said, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you, uh, give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's good news. <laughs> the Holy Spirit 
who with the Father raised Jesus from the dead is bringing new life to those who have embraced Him. Hmm. The same love that did not abandon Jesus to the grave will not let you go and stay there either. We know that the dead in Christ will rise first. We know the the same Bible who says what we just read in Romans 8 and 11, the same Bible says the dead in Christ, they're going to rise first. We're going to follow right after them, whoever is alive and remains. He will not leave us. Hmm. He loves you with a love that is stronger than death. Paul finishes up chapter 8 and he says this. It's powerful assurance in Romans 8 beginning in verse 37. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure. Now listen to the list. You all know it, but listen to it. That neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. If I missed it in the, in the list there that I was just reading, let me just put this in on the tail end. Anything else in all creation. Just in case I missed something. And you remember what, and I quote this all the time, what God says about Himself. He created everything. And if He didn't create it, it wasn't created. And that means not just here on earth, although that is directly applicable, all of creation, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how influential or how great. It will not have the capacity. Praise God, because Jesus took on death and let it exhaust its power on Him. I love that picture. Because Jesus took on death, and by virtue of that conflict, death was exhausted. And what did Jesus do? Took the hands of death off His throat and came back to life. Because the Father in His love raised Jesus up from the grave, vindicating Jesus' faithfulness and and, uh, demonstrating His belovedness. Now, for all who are in Jesus, nothing, not even death, can separate you from the love of God. That is love. Musicians. That is love. We as children of God find ourselves entangled in the morass that is life and circumstances. Don't you ever once in a while find yourself weighed down because of the circumstances that are in your life and you find your mind so captivated by those things that you forget about the God whom you serve? Even if it's just for... Moments, minutes, hours. We, we lose touch. Well, maybe we need to get a fresh what? 
that vision a reality? Man, why am I worrying about the tires needing to be replaced when death can't even touch me? You know, everybody dies. That's not the point. The point is the sting of death has been removed. What's the sting of death? Utter separation from the light and the life found in God. Eternal separation. That's the sting of death. And our anatomy... Our brains stop having wavelengths. Our lungs stop inhaling air. Our blood stops, or our heart stops pumping blood. And this, this body stops. But we live forever because He's told us in His promises, I am not going to leave you. Not even death is going to be able to keep you from me because Jesus took all care of that. Stand with me this morning. As I look across this crowd, I don't see anyone here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I recognize pretty much all the faces that I see. But So let me alter what I normally do this morning. Is there anyone here today who has a part of your life? Man, you just need resurrection in that. You need something to come to life a hope, a dream, whatever the case may be, feelings, emotions, whatever. Is there anyone here that just needs God to touch your life? 